Welcome to Hot Chocolate Convos, where societal woes are tackled through the sip. These two chocolate divas have raw, unfiltered, and totally candied convos. Now here are your hosts, Kimberly and Shalisa. Let's get into the show.
All right, everyone, we are back, and we have Miss Sharon Alston here with us to speak about domestic violence. So welcome, Sharon, and thanks for joining us. Welcome. <laughs> thanks for having me. Oh, yes, absolutely. So Sharon is an inspirational speaker and empowerment workshop facilitator. Um, as an author, she shares her personal story of witnessing domestic violence and the death of her mother by her father in her book, Elizabeth's Daughter, There's Power in Adversity. She also has, um, she also speaks about other difficulties she encountered in her life to inspire people and to never give up on themselves and the difficulties that they face. So Sharon, um, you know, just tell us a little bit more about yourself and what actually motivated you to become an empowerment speaker. Well, I am a, a, a single mom. And um, what really motivated me really is just my life journey. It was um, the inspiration uh, for me to go ahead and write this book. It was something I had been thinking about on and off during the course of my life, but I was sort of hesitant because of the nature of it. However, I broke through all of that stuff and just went on ahead and decided that this is a story that's bigger than I am, an important story to share. And unfortunately, domestic violence is still so prevalent in our society and in various cultures. So I wanted to be able to let people know that have similar experiences that they are not alone. And this is a story to raise awareness about children who witness domestic violence. There are a lot of resources available for women and men and families of domestic violence. However, you really don't hear a lot about children who witnessed domestic violence and how they navigated through their own lives and where they are today. And one of the chapters in my book is about my brother, and I start off with him early in the book because I really wanted to show how it impacted his life. It also impacted mine as well, obviously, which I talk about in the book. But my brother was a classic case of a kid who witnessed domestic violence and particularly in our community, this was really important because a lot of our children are so quickly labeled to be ADD or something's wrong with them. And yep. without people really looking past that and just sort of going a bit deeper and thinking about why are children and our communities acting out the way they're acting out and some of the behaviors that I learned about as I began the research and started to write because I wanted to know myself because it happened to me when I was very young, a little girl, and there were a lot of things I didn't understand. And when my brother passed away, that really was an inspiration as well because I wanted to be able to share his life but also lay out how domestic violence impacted him oh wow yeah absolutely no i mean that's it's important stuff that you're writing about and especially i mean in october october is domestic violence awareness month it and is. you are an, an advocate and you know having witnessed the passing of your mother due to domestic violence can you just speak a little bit more about that sure and i prefer to whenever i do reference my mom because it's in the book as well is she didn't just pass away. She was murdered. She was killed as a result yeah. of domestic violence. And I think that's very mm -hmm. for me to emphasize, especially when I'm speaking, whether I'm in front of an audience live or on a podcast, because for me it was really critical to show how it can escalate. Now, I don't know 
if you're familiar with the O.J. Simpson case, like a few years back, like 1995, 96 or something. Mm -hmm. And during that time, there was a whole lot of talk about he may not have killed her. And I'm not saying that he did, so I just want to put that disclaimer out there. But there were a whole lot of talking heads and journalists and various other so-called experts basically saying that domestic violence it doesn't lead to killing a person, and it's not true because I'm living proof that it does. It does escalate. Now, it may not be in every particular case that occurs. However, it does happen. So it was really important for me to make that point and to raise awareness about that fact as well. And just going through what I went through, and not even understanding how it impacted me, but as I was growing up and navigating through the world and just life and just sort of trying to be normal, I realized how it impacted my life. So that's something that I share in terms of how it's sort of like a um, an impact that not only stops there, but it also spills over into other areas in your life because when you witness something like that, it's, that's trauma. I didn't know what trauma was growing up. I learned about it later on. And that trauma can also sort of um, have you self-inflict certain type of adversities. It could be maybe you're not managing well in various relationships. And I needed to be able to make all those connections to bring it back just to sort of raise that awareness and let people know that children are impacted, although they may not have experienced it directly, but it's an indirect form of domestic abuse. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love, I, I mean, I love that you made that reference. Because, you know, it is easy to judge from the outside looking in. Absolutely. But you, yeah, you know, in your opinion, do you think, getting out of an abusive relationship is really that easy? No, actually, it's it's not that easy. And I'm glad that you said it's easy to judge because you're right. It is because I was very judgmental myself and of other women and of my mother. And I was very angry with my mother because you think – and people say it without even realizing it, and I've done it. I've, I've been guilty of that, but as I dug and began to do some research, I learned about BWS, Batted Women's Syndrome, and it helped me understand the psychological impact upon people who are abused on an ongoing, like, continuous basis, and why they don't leave, and it's not easy to leave, but what I do want to uh, emphasize for your for your listeners is that battered women's syndrome is a psychological condition. It's a pattern of behavior that develops in domestic violence victims. It's learned helplessness. The victims become depressed, defeated, and passive to a point where they actually believe he or she is incapable of leaving his or her abuser. You know what I mean? And clearly, my mom, she experienced that, and fear has a lot to do with it, thinking that if you leave, you'll break your family. You don't want to be the cause of breaking up your family. So there's this really, really big piece of psychologically how it gets into your psyche and just sort of permeates throughout your entire being, and that you sort of adapt this sort of behavior, and you feel as though it's your fault, like you're the blame for it. And it's a cycle that just 
continues and it just starts over and it just goes. It's like this little wheel, round and around and around and around. So once I learned about BWS and like the three stages of it, is people that experience it, they take full responsibility over the abuse. They find it difficult, as I said, impossible to leave. They blame themselves. They fear for their safety. And some of them are trapped economically. A lot of us may be dependent upon someone to take care of the family. You feel you have no means of taking care of things on your own. And that's a huge, huge piece to be trapped financially. And, again, believe that the abuser is powerful, that they will be hurt if they attempt to leave or if they attempt to confide in someone or, or call perhaps the authorities or something like that. And it's an irrational way of thinking, but that's the piece about that whole psychological conditioning when it's something that's occurring on a regular basis. So once I learned the science and the psychological impact behind all of that, I shifted. And I no longer judged because I had a greater understanding of why people do stay. So for me, that was extremely helpful because it enabled me to forgive my mother, and it also enabled me to not be so quick to judge people who are in those particular situations. Because people that are, they don't even realize themselves that psychologically they are just being constantly abused over and over and over and over again. So I would say those are really important things for everyone to know because a lot of people don't, even in 2019. And as I said, it's still very prevalent in our society and in various cultures. It's looked upon as being normal. And it's important to say that's not normal. No, I agree. And, like, do you have any thoughts on what causes men or women to stay in abusive relationships? Because I know most of the time they just think, like, oh, you know, he or she, they're going to change. No, I started it. I started the fight. You know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't them. It was, you know, me. That's that's the big one. Well, yeah, it is. Actually, that's it. And, again, it has a lot to do with, like, the early stages of the BWS. It has a lot to do with, as I just mentioned, economics. And that's a huge, huge piece, being dependent upon someone to help you and not really knowing what love is, not understanding how you are to be treated in a relationship. That's very, very important. And I also write about that as well, explaining what love is, explaining how you should expect to be treated by someone. And if you're not receiving that and you feel that you're giving, giving, but you're not getting back what you deserve for yourself, that's time to sort of go inside yourself and say, okay, what what is it about myself that I don't feel I deserve to be treated better? Agreed, agreed. Um, you know, what advice can you give to women or men that hasn't really vocalized their, their abuse or maybe just afraid? What I do is through my story, I share some things that would be helpful to them. And what's really important is to talk about it, tell someone about it. Don't keep it a secret because secrets kill. So it's really important that you have to confide in someone, but you have to know who you should confide in because there are so many resources that are out there now, especially now given that we're living in this whole social media, Internet, you know, Google this, that sort of age, whereas when I was coming up, none of the resources 
that are out here now was not available. And also, too, it was different during those times. That was something that was just acceptable. And as I indicated in my book, I, I even saw other men, like, hit their girlfriends or, you know, the mothers of their children. Like, you could be out in the park, and they'll just sort of pop upside someone's head or something like that. And that was considered keeping your woman in line. And unfortunately, it's a cycle that continues when something is not broken. And when people don't learn, that's inappropriate and that's not normal behavior. So I basically just say, please seek help. Contact national organizations for domestic violence. As I said, there are a lot of resources, local state government resources, nonprofit organizations, and most importantly, self-care. Because whoever that person is that's being abused, they need to be healed. They need help for themselves as well. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, so the Washington Post reported, you know, one in three women and one in four men have been abused, have been in abusive relationships, and one in five women and one in seven men have faced severe physical violence. Uh-huh. What does dating aggression look like in a male or a female? Some of the signs of a potential abusive relationship, and even if you're already in the relationship, are like humiliation or control. It may not seem like a big deal, but it could be something telling you what you should wear, what you shouldn't wear, or grabbing you, but, oh, I'm just playing, girl, that sort of thing, because that can escalate into something else. Verbal insults, like, why do you do that? You're so stupid, you understand? And it may not seem like a big deal, because these are words that we throw out there. These are things that we do. But if this is something that is recurring, that's something that needs to really be focused on, and you need to think about that. Also, as I said, the control and behavior, it could start subtly, like grabbing you by your arm or doing a little light shove or something like that. Unpredictable mood swings. You're up one day, you're down another day, or you find that your boyfriend is sort of like blaming you for something that didn't go right in his life and you feel responsible for it. And this happens a lot, especially with young people and teenagers. And this is also a focus of the nonprofit organization that I work with. What we do is we focus on educating our youth about healthy versus unhealthy relationships and safe dating practices, the warning signs of an abusive person, because it will help us to help them break the cycle while they're young so they can sort of develop and grow into healthy, productive adults. Again, physical violence, it starts subtly. Controlling behavior, picking out your faults. You know what that's like. Or treating you, you understand what I'm saying? Or treating you like. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah, makes total sense. Yes, as though you're incapable of taking care of yourself when you were doing that prior to meeting that particular girlfriend or that boyfriend. Like, I don't need you to tell me what to do. But again, when you don't have an idea, and, and many of us, because it was me, you don't have an idea of what love is or what a healthy relationship is, and you feel as though, okay, well, they must really care about me if he's, you know, pointing these things out, where in actuality, that's a sign. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that that person will abuse you, but it certainly is like a red flag that you need to think about. And again, as I said, the bland game, manipulation. 
believe in the abuse is that person's fault or again even if you're not far into the relationship these are definitely signs to look out for if they are recurring girl you know i wanted to do this or you or a guy says to a girl or a girl says to a guy i speak to my experience there are men that are abused by women as well but i speak to my experience because that's what i'm knowledgeable in However, based upon, like, the studies and the research as far as children who witness domestic violence, it's like 3 to 4 million children between the ages of 3 to 17 that witness and are exposed to domestic violence. So just think about that. That's like about, what, 95% of domestic violence cases involve men. And think, those children, they grow up. They grow up into stages. You understand? And so now they're out there dating, and they're emulating some of those behaviors that they witness. Mm-hmm. You understand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This actually reminds me of this show that I watch called Big Little Lies. It's just the lady was being abused, and, like, her kids are just, like, five, and then they kind of emulated what their dad was doing at school. It, it was exactly. just it was crazy. It just, uh Exactly. As a matter of fact, I watched that show and it was it was very well written. It was an excellent show, and yeah. you know, it's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And they do, kids do grow up to become adults, but they will not be productive adults, and they potentially could be abusers. And actually, my brother he was an abuser at some point in his life, and I shared that in the book as well. I was just very open and honest and raw about it because, again, it's bigger than me. It's something that really needs to be out there in the universe and to raise awareness so the young people reach them, these millennials, teenagers, because the world is different now. But domestic violence is not different. It's still the same. And it's still going on. Mm -hmm. And I felt that I was really compelled to share my story because that's my purpose. That's the difference that I want to make. Yeah. Wow. I felt that. (laughs) Um, So releasing toxic people from your life in a whole is easier said than done. You know, especially if they're just close friends or people you've known for a while. Do you have any thoughts on just taking the first step towards releasing toxic people from your life? And you must also include family members because they are the closest. Mm -hmm. Extremely toxic. And I share some of those experiences in my life that are integral to sharing my story without throwing anyone under the bus or just denigrating someone else because that's not the the point of the story, but it's to show how toxic behavior impacts you and when you're traumatized. So for me personally, the steps that I took, I was very fortunate because there were people in my life that was there to help me and that supported me. I had an aunt who happened to have been a therapist at that time, and she was extremely helpful to me. She recognized certain things in me. She helped me get connected to the right type of therapist. And also, just having faith in God, it sort of helped me to to grow and to just sort of look at things through the lens of how God views me. So I think that releasing toxic people is a part of self-care. When you are working on yourself and you are developing and you are growing, it really does enable you 
to point out, not to that person, but to yourself, certain toxic behaviors of other people, and you learn how to keep a distance. You learn how to sort of put some space there. You don't necessarily verbally have to say, well, look, I don't want to deal with you anymore. Sometimes you just sort of have to pull back. If it's a family member or if it's family members, maybe you may have to miss some of those family cookouts. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It does require a lot of work on our part, and I had to do those things. And you're right. It's not easy, but it is necessary because I wanted to live. I want it to be better. I want it to get well. But I'm always open to conversations with family members who are willing to talk about things that you generally don't talk about. As as a secret, you don't you don't tell family business, but it's killing me. <laughs> and I want to live. So it's extremely important to learn how to release toxic people from your life. And I learned that through therapy. I learned that through prayer. I learned that through wanting certain things for myself and realizing that I have power inside of me. I have the power to structure the type of life that I want for myself. I have the power to choose the people that I want in my life and the people that probably don't need to be in my life at this particular time, but always be open because people are capable of changing. If the relationship is important to you, it has to be important to everyone, and everyone has to be involved and willing to make whatever adjustments or changes they need if they want you in their life. And, again, it's not easy, but sometimes you just have to walk away. You, I mean, Simply put, you do. You just have to walk away, create that distance. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes it's the best thing for your own health to walk away. Absolutely. It is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just that you're being, yeah, close to someone and then, like, you don't really talk to that person as much or whatever. That yeah. weight that's off of your chest, mm-hmm. you know how toxic that person is, it's like, yeah. oh. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And realizing... Like the guilt, for example. The guilt can just be so heavy if it's a close friend, if it's a family member. You love that person. But, again, when you begin to work on yourself and and you're getting better and you're shedding a lot of the trauma and you're evolving and you are growing and you are using your power to push forward in your life without closing doors but realizing that, you are not going to allow toxic behavior and toxic people to occupy your space because it's not conducive to your own growth and development. That's a conscious decision. That's self-care. Everyone doesn't have to be like you, but you can even let someone know that you're close to listen. There's just certain things that I just don't feel comfortable with or perhaps I don't feel safe or I just don't think that you may be aware of how certain things you do or say impact me and I'm hoping we can have a conversation about it so we can make it better and just continue to push forward and see how that goes but only you know what's best for you and when you learn toxic behavior and how it impacts you it will become easier because you're not the same like I'm not the same when I learned about projection and therapy how people project upon you 
What they're really doing is voicing how they feel about themselves, but throwing it on you. I was told a whole lot of different things when I was growing up, even as a young adult woman in my life from family members. Oh, you think you're better than everyone else. You're this, you're that, because of how I was structuring my life and pushing forward and sort of shedding the trauma and recognizing certain behaviors. It didn't mean that we weren't loved and my family didn't mean that at all. But you can love someone, but you could also be toxic at the same time. You can say some very harmful, hurtful things to someone that is just unhealthy. So I decided that I don't want to be around that. So it's a, it's a conscious decision that you have to decide to make for yourself. And, again, it goes back to what I said earlier. You have to learn how to love yourself and what you want for yourself. And there's no reason to be guilty about that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. 100% agreed. It's worth. It's not easy. It's worth, but it's worth yeah. it. You know, again, you, you, you won't learn and grow and develop healthy yourself if you don't take the steps necessary for yourself. Mm-hmm. And there's power in that. There's power in adversity. And that's, frankly, why I wanted to not only name it Elizabeth's daughter because that's who I am, because it's to honor my mother and let the world know that she was here and raise awareness, but also to let people know that there's power in adversity. Because in adversity, that's where God meets you. That's where you begin to learn about yourself because adversity teaches you about yourself. But more importantly, it teaches you about other people. And there's power in that. So you have have to access that power and use it because it will propel you and push you forward. But you have to do the work. It doesn't happen on its own. And it's worth the work. Right. I agree. Totally agree. So we've talked about everything involving, you know, how it affects adults, women, and men. But what about the effects upon children who witness the violence? Okay. I have a few points that I'd like to make with that, and that's an excellent question. Thank you for that, ladies. What behaviors do children who witness domestic violence, I'm taking it directly from my research. The emotional responses of children who witness domestic violence may include fear, guilt, shame, sleep disturbances, sadness, depression, and anger. Children who are exposed to battering become fearful and anxious. They're always on guard, watching and waiting for the next event to occur. They never know what will trigger the abuse, and they never feel safe. They are always worried for themselves, for their mother or their dad, whomever that abusing is and their siblings, and they may feel worthless, and they may feel powerless. So what I did, I took that word powerless, and I turned it into power, because we do have power, even in feeling, because that's a feeling. Feelings are fleeting, but they're real to us. It's a human activity to feel powerless. But again, there is power in adversity, and that's important for people to know. You are not powerless. You just don't know how to raise up out of what you have witnessed. I didn't even know that I was trauma. I didn't know what trauma was. I was three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. I had no clue what trauma was and how it impacted my own life. And that also, as I said earlier, that leads to other adversities. There were other adversities that resulted from what I witnessed as a child. And I talk about 
some of those instances in my book as well, especially when I was a teenager and dating and boys and looking for love all in the wrong places and getting high to to just sort of numb the pain that I was in and, and, you know, what I was going through. So those are some of the effects of children who witness domestic violence, and those effects spill over into their personal lives. And in my brother's particular case, he was a classic, classic example. I was as well, but it was different for me because of, you know, like how I'm wired. We're wired differently. Each of us have yeah. our own, well, you know, personality. Yeah, men, men kind of take perceive things differently than women. Exactly. Yeah. But when I, you know, began my research, my brother just jumped out at me off of the pages of what I learned because it was everything. The drugs early on, the stealing, the, I mean, it was, I was like, oh my God, the trauma. And if you recall early on in our conversation, I talked about how in our communities and cultures, our children are so easily uh, labeled by other people, if you know what I'm saying, without them even really knowing who you are and what your mm-hmm. family makeup is. And that child could be brilliant. Mm-hmm. That child could be the next president, but maybe they're traumatized. Maybe there's some message violence that they've witnessed going on in their household or maybe another relative. You understand? Absolutely. Exactly. So it's really important to raise awareness about children who witnessed domestic violence. Thank you for that question because it's it's so important. And again, local and state agencies, wherever you live or wherever you're located, you can talk to a social worker. Even if you mention if you're in therapy or if you're not, other people can recognize certain things and they may even, it could be a complete stranger. I'm a firm believer. I have faith in God. And sometimes Mm -hmm. God can send an angel your way, someone that, you have never seen in your life and say something to you, that may be your help right there. Nonprofit organizations. You can Google it now. As I said earlier, the world we're living in now, you have so much information right at your fingertips. If you're in a particular depressed economic environment and you may have access to a laptop and you don't have one of your own, you don't have an iPad and all these expensive technological devices, you know what's good? The library. It's mm-hmm. free. Wherever you are, go to the library. There are a zillion nonprofit organizations that are out there. And once you contact them and you speak with someone, they are trained. They are trained to handle your particular case. It is kept in confidence, and they will provide you whatever resources you need. But the best number to call is the National Domestic Violence Hotline because they have a myriad of resources, and wherever you are located, they will put you in touch with a nonprofit or some local or state agency, and it will be kept confidential. Great. Thank you so much for that. Confidentiality. Yeah. Don't be scared, folks. They're mm-hmm. back to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you told us a little bit about your book, but I, I didn't want you to give away much because we want our, re, our listeners to go out and purchase the book. Mm-hmm. So where can our podcast audience get your book, Elizabeth's Daughters, There's Power in Adversity? Amazon.com, mm-hmm. and Lulu Books, my publisher. I'm a self-publisher, Lulu Books. Lulu Books, Barnes & Noble offer my book in ebook format as well as paperback. 
Amazon.com offers my book in paperback only. So you have three online book distributors that you can go to to purchase Elizabeth's Daughter, There's Power in Adversity. Awesome. So we want all of our okay. listeners to go get it. We want you yeah. to check it out, whether it's hardback, whether it's online. I know here in the city it's easier to get a book online, so that way you can kind of ride the train and do what you got to do. So, ladies, this is a book to get. Absolutely. Yeah, even if you have to gift it to someone. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about gifting this to my mother for Christmas, so yeah. I might gift a couple of women this, though. So. Yeah, actually, mm-hmm. people have actually reached out to me and said, listen, I not only want the paperback, because I want to gift it to a few people. Even at book signing, just complete strangers will just bend down and sort of whisper in my ear, thank you for writing this book. I want to buy three because I want to give it to And that's another way you can help someone who may not be at a place where they're ready. You understand? Because you have to be very careful. You have to handle people with care. You have to handle people with love. But if you just wrap it and just sort of drop it and give it to them, that's one way that you can help them as well. It's about raising awareness. Someone else reached out to me and said, I want to get it in the ebook because it's easy for me. But, again, I also want to buy a couple of copies to gift and give to other people. I get that all the time. It's an extremely powerful story. And if it's just a few people that are touched by it, if it's saving a life, if it's helping mm-hmm. someone sort of turn around, or even a young person because – it's not for adults. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. If a young teenager picks it up and begins to read it, he or she, it may trigger something in them, and they may start looking at their relationships and their lives in a different way, like, oh, I was dating this guy, or I was dating this girl, and she grabbed me, and she just smacked me across my face. Like, that's mm-hmm. not That can escalate. That can be something that recurs on a regular basis. It's like being groomed without realizing you're being groomed. You know what I mean? To be accepting of that sort of behavior. Yeah. You don't need to go go upside someone's head just for them to do what you want them to do or get their attention. Because if that's what is happening, then that's not a relationship for you. Yep. And I totally agree on that. So how can our audience book you to speak about your experience in the book, how you conquered adversity and conduct an empowerment workshop on overcoming adversity? They can Google Sharon Speaks Power. My website will come up. I'm on Instagram as well as Facebook. And they can also send me an email at Sharon.AlstonHarmon. That's A-L-S-T-O-N-H-A-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. They can learn about the workshop that I conduct on my website, which is www.sharonspeakspower.com, where I also share part of my story on the website. They can also just sort of navigate through the website, learn about the empowerment workshops, what's covered in the empowerment workshops. And I focus on overcoming adversity tips. I'll share a few tips with your audience and those that are listening that may be in need of knowing, like, where do I start? How do I do this? Just a few tips. Be aware that adversity is a part of life and accept that it's meant to strengthen, grow, and teach you how to navigate through life. Accept that it's a part of life. That's a huge step. Strengthen and build your inner self. That means emotionally, spiritually, mentally. And, again, because we don't know everyone's background and situation, you may not be in a position, as I said, to own all of these various tech 
devices, go to a library. You can get a book. That's free. So there are resources out there. And then learn about people who face insurmountable adversities. When you read, you learn about other people. When you read my book, you learn about me. You learn about what I experienced. You learn about what I experienced as a little girl growing up and how I navigated and how I came out and how I am, who I am today, what shaped me and how I did it. I share those steps as well. What I did so that I could become whole again and I could heal because that enabled me, frankly, to share my story because when you hold on to tragedy, when you hold on to adversity, you, you, you continually give it more power each and every day, and that makes you feel like you don't have any power, when in actuality, the power is in you. It's always been there, but you just don't know that. And I talk about that as well. So those are just a few tips of what takes place in a workshop on overcoming adversity, whether it's domestic violence, whether it's losing uh, uh, your livelihood and unable to support your family because it comes in many different forms. However, it impacts us all the same. Mine just happened to have been witnessing domestic violence. Right. Well, you heard her here, folks. The amazing Sharon Speaks Power. Thank you so, <laughs> so, so much. This episode was definitely powerful and such an amazing way to kick off Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And we do, we appreciate you coming on so much because, oh man, I mean, especially women of color and just people of color, we shy away from these touchy, vulnerable subjects way too much, way too much. So thank you so much for coming on so much. And thank you for in, inviting me, really, because, you know, when I looked you up and I saw that you were two young sisters, I said, you know what, that's awesome, because <laughs> your generation will benefit from this particular podcast because domestic violence is prevalent and it's mm-hmm. happening in these millennials and teenage relationships, you understand? It is. And they need crazy. That's not love. You know, need to be treated in that manner because that's unhealthy and it can mm-hmm. escalate into other areas. So you need to know what the signs are now while you are young. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Sharon. My we pleasure. You're welcome. You coming on. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. You're thank welcome. You. Welcome. You have a great weekend. I shall, and you do as well. And just remember, walk in purpose, walk in faith. And walk in power because yes. everything you need lies within you. You have the power to transform your life. God bless you, lady. Thank, Thank you so much. You're welcome. So, what's the sip? What's the sip? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Don't hold nothing back. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to tell us what you're sipping on. What is Okay, so I just started following this story today, today, and it was pretty interesting to me because I it just kind of caught my attention because it was an African-American 12-year-old girl, and, you know, she has locks, and I just took really, I took on to the story only because I have a teen sister, and also I have locks, so it struck me, but it, it was um, a 12-year-old girl who claimed that three white classmates pinned her down and cut her locks um, and told her that she was nappy and ugly, you know, and stuff like that. And she came home and she was all in the news and everything. And this happened in Springfield, Virginia on Monday. So 
She said that they cut several locks. So now, hold on. Here, here's what caught my right. attention. Mm-hmm. Um, she's now admitted that the claims were fabricated. What? She lied? What do you mean? What do you mean? She's come forward. Her, her parents, her mom, her dad came forward, you know, saying that she was not telling the truth. The, the story was fabricated. What? Um, yeah, they even said to the administrators of the family, we are sorry for the damage this incident has done to trust within the school family and the undue scorn it has brought to the school. Are you guys sure they didn't just, like, pay off the parents and save face? I don't know. This is, this very is the first thing I, I thought about. I and also, know. after I read the article... Of course, you know, I always got to go to the comments. And that was a lot of what the people were saying in the comments. No. Like how do we know they weren't paid off? Yeah, Which is no. a good point. That That's a Mm-mm. very good point. I don't, I, sorry, I don't, I don't buy what's happening here. No. So, it, that's what I'm sipping on because I'm just like, it's something else up with this story. It's something else. Oh, my goodness. I just. I'm flabbergasted, like, what do you mean it was fake? No, there is. I don't believe it for one second, so y'all can quote me. I don't believe it for one second. Same, same, same. So, what do you think So, my one to say is, so, um, um, what's her name? I see wife, Coco, posted a picture breastfeeding their three-year-old daughter, and she got so much crap for it. And the way he came and just clapped back, like, stay away, like, you know. He really called it the B word. What did he say? I can't remember what he said, honestly. But I just thought the way that he, like, defended his wife and, like, really just advocated for breastfeeding. I was, I was impressed. I was like, yeah, like, why are you guys mommy shaming her? Kids get breastfed up till, up to, like, six years sometimes. That's not a big deal. It's, like, to each his own. I was just like, the internet just has no choice sometimes. So, y'all take what y'all get. I was glad that he told them off. I was. <laughs> Don't be judging the lady because she's breastfeeding her three-year-old. What, what are you thinking? Do you know but what breastfeeding is? For every little thing she does, girl. So, that I was, like, rooting for her on. So, that's what I'm sitting on. Uh-huh. Black Business Corner. Did you know that... Will Fizz and April are now like out of the closet saying they and boo. Oh my gosh. Why did you tell me this? I just want to tell you know, the listeners know, we talked about it. I wanted to update you Uh, on a little ratchet reality. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. I cannot do it. I. Black business corner. Oh, black business corner. Our lovely guest has a book that is in stores on Amazon and everywhere else. The book is called Elizabeth's Elizabeth's Daughter, There's Power in Adversity. And the author is none other than our lovely guest, Sharon Alston. And this book can be found in stores on Lulu.com, Amazon. Yes, our lovely guest, go out and support her. She's a domestic violence advocate. She's a women's empowerment speaker. 
and her book is like you know her book is something i'm definitely thinking of gifting a few people Mm -hmm. just because yeah so you know go on and support her guys um check out her website if you can she mentioned all of that it's um www.sharingspeakpower.com and yeah just go out and support her sharon austin author speaker empowerment workshop leader and mentor Mm-hmm. Okie dokie. Well, this was fun. This was. Thank you so much. This was heavy. This was deep. This is everything that we needed. All the information that was given to us, we're so grateful for. We don't take any of this lightly. Everything that we spoke on is very serious. And yeah. if you need to reach out to anybody, if you need to speak to anybody, our inbox is always open. Our DMs are always open. We're here to listen, to help, to point you in the right direction that you need to go in if you are in any situation that you don't belong in or you don't want to be in or you don't need to be in. Yeah, absolutely. That's the end of the All episode, you guys. Thanks Have for a great Tuesday. Week. Have a great day. Bye. 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 Bye.